Hello, everyone. First off, thanks for joining us. I'm Kennedy Rizzo. And I'm Cooper Lee. And welcome to another exciting episode of the Caramel Apples podcast. In this episode, we're going back to revisit the year 1987, where we'll be breaking down the intriguing components of the movie Bumblebee. We give an in-depth commentary on the magnetism of this film, what it meant for claiming its place in pop culture, and share our personal memories of when we first saw and cherished this memorable entry. Lastly, we give our honest and raw opinion on why Bumblebee collectively made its mark on history. It is our hope that you enjoy and share this podcast with all your fellow retro buffs. So today, we're going to be reviewing and discussing the 2018 movie, Bumblebee. It's set in the year 1987. Good year. (laughs) It's a retcon about Charlie Watson, played by Haley Steinfeld, a teenage girl struggling to move on after her father's untimely death, encounters the fugitive Autobot B-127, a.k.a. Bumblebee. And the two form a heartfelt bond, which will be tested as they are hunted by both the secretive Sector 7 and a couple of Decepticons. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) So to start out, having watched the previous five films and being disappointed by all of them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Except for 2007. (laughs) Due to them being too long, too confusing and simply boring. Honestly, I was a bit skeptical about this one, but after watching it, I have to say I was impressed. The film was actually pretty good. Yeah. Far better than the Transformer films previous, except for 2007. (laughs) 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 Now, Bumblebee has good action, but not the visual overload of the other movies. It has a nice story that is focused and makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. And doesn't lose it five minutes in. Something that the other movies never really had. At least not since maybe the first one. Yeah, I I think audiences have perhaps had enough of Michael Bay's take on things. <laughs> Goodness. Well, he was just the producer for this movie and it worked out well. Uh-huh. I think that Travis Knight had that um, actual honor of directing Bumblebee. Okay. So Bumblebee's biggest strength is that it builds a story that makes sense, delivers tender moments that draw you in, and makes you care for the characters. As soon as that's established, the good action starts. So if you're a longtime fan, you should not be disappointed. Yeah, you shouldn't be. Um, What's interesting is that this movie actually grossed, get this, $468 million worldwide. Woo! That's a lot of cash, right? Yes. But 
this was the lowest grossing film in the franchise. What? Yeah. You see those dollar signs, you're like, yeah. And then you find out it wasn't as high as the others. Okay. <laughs> but it was still a success. Okay. Uh, Bumblebee received the highest praise from critics, calling it the best film in the series, praising the action sequences and Steinfeld's performance. Okay. Which I have to say, she did a really good job. She did. She did a knockout job. Yeah. So as well as the 80s setting and sense of nostalgia, and that last part right there is exactly why I truly loved and appreciated this movie. Mm. I saw many reviews and feedback from others who watched Bumblebee. Some were good and positive, but a lot of people didn't really care for it much. Yeah, yeah. Criticizing the writing and its old school campiness, and the comedy, and, and touting it as something easily to be enjoyed by their kids or other younger, familiar counterparts instead. I guess that's their, their honest opinions. Yeah, but to me, it seemed that the very things that they took issue with um, mm -hmm. were the vital elements put into the movie to deliver that old school nostalgic feel of what life might have been like for those of us who were at our peak of youth back then. I know, right? Yeah. And and aside from the ultra cool throwback songs, especially handpicked from the 1980s prime, let's check some of those other elements briefly, shall we? Okay. Now... The agonizing stress and grief of losing a loved uh, parent um, and the confusion of trying to pick up the pieces of your life while attempting to do so, you know, and on top of that, her mother had moved on and remarried mm -hmm. to a seemingly nice guy, you know, who became her stepdad. But Charlie made it abundantly clear that he would not be replacing her dad and often left her mother... Um, you know, she was probably dismayed and like, what do I do with this child? <laughs> <laughs> because she just gave her so much, you know, that typical teenage rebellion act, that attitude. Every parent's dream. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I felt they conveyed that very real theme in a dignified way that didn't swallow up or take away from the actual theme of the movie. Oh, that's a beautiful observation there, Cooper. And I totally agree with you about that. You know, I think about, you know, when we were growing up, you know, we had, you know, some children we went to school with and some really close friends of ours mm -hmm. that, you know, they didn't exactly lose parents and death, but they lost um, parents due to the fact of uh, divorces. Yes. And, you know, as kids, you know, you couldn't really do a whole lot, but you, you did empathize with your friends because, you know, our parents, you know, thankfully stayed together. Yeah. But yeah. You know, you still try to be there for your friends and you could see it was a struggle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, in the adjustment period, you know, some days were good, some days were not. And um, it just, you feel for them. And when you think about it for this movie, they did a really nice job of making that real. Mm -hmm. They they really did. They made that real. So I I I, I applaud that part of the story. Yeah, it was a beautiful portrayal of what you're just talking about. I thought they did a wonderful job as well. Yeah. I too liked how they portrayed her unique, down-to-earth, normal teenage angst. And that was highlighted by her very real, normal desire in wanting an active social life with the cool kids. Mm-hmm, yeah. 
You know, but she morphed into more of a dark misfit type who sort of beat to her own drum. The cool kids were all too happy to remind her of that. <laughs> a few key scenes played out that any Gen Xer would definitely remember in vivid recollection, either by observation and or by personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> the cool kids in school were either sadistic jerks or so obviously self-centered. Centered. <laughs> they were. You know, they couldn't see how utterly ridiculous they were. <laughs> Cool my eye. (laughs) (laughs) So some of the issues back then carried out at school were so often immature and pointless. Mm -hmm. You know, especially as we reflect back on them now. You know, you chuckle to yourself and wonder why we thought of them being a big deal in the first place. Yes. You know, like dealing with crushes what fashion that was or wasn't in currently (laughs) bullies or being bullied which also was brilliantly showcased in this movie as well i agree Mm -hmm. Uh, bumblebee works because it focuses more on emotion rather than action Mm -hmm. you know hence the fond nostalgia that gushed from this film Mm -hmm. for a movie to have been so recently made often key components of what makes a story or experience connect to a certain time frame are lost due to tunnel vision on the part of the creative execs, just covering the surface memories only. Mm-hmm. You know, or they'll install the most recognizable elements like music and fashion. Yeah. Like, uh, is that a banana clip there? <laughs> hey, hey, are those leg warmers? <laughs> Maybe he, they're just sporting a mullet. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think you nailed those. (laughs) Very recognizable. (laughs) Now, to be fair, something that I did notice, um, and it's not huge, but I thought I'd mention it. Okay. Um, In the scene where Charlie's mom, she was driving Bumblebee and taking the family dog to the vet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Charlie, you know, she comes riding up beside her mom on the bike and she kind of, you know, she's trying to get her attention and everything. Her mom finally realizes, you know, someone's trying to get her attention and it freaks her out. (laughs) So she finally realizes her daughter and she pulls over and she's like, I thought I was being carjacked. (laughs) (laughs) Now, like we said, this was, you know, featured back from 1987. Yeah. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe carjacking, or at least a phrase, was coined in the early 1990s. <laughs> but we'll just keep this little tidbit under our hats. <laughs> I think you're actually right with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But any movie from the 70s and 80s usually do their due diligence to throw in a couple of songs, more mainstream, um, in order to represent that era. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the coverage of some period pieces usually only have, you know, the surface vibe. There we go again. And mm-hmm. it is this right here and in the uh, an area, thankfully, <laughs> Bumblebee <laughs> did not disappoint in. Mm-hmm. One of the things we enjoyed was the awesome onslaught of the classic 80s tunes. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack brings back some of the best music from one of the best decades of the 20th century. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> this is full of several great songs from back then. Yes. Again, 1987. Wonderful year. Yes, it was. 
going in, I was mentally prepared for a mid to late 80s flashback. Mm -hmm. Notable entries like Save a Prayer by Duran Duran, Higher Love by Steve Winwood, Mm -hmm. and Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. But it also had much more mainstream songs you still hear pretty regularly, like Everyone Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. Awesome. A plus. Yes. Aha's <laughs> uh-huh, Take On Me. Okay. And I Can't Wait by New Shoes. You almost want to sing that every time you say it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really also like the song Back to Life. Um, it was sung by Charlie herself, and they inserted this song at the ending credits of the movie. Mm. Um, it was actually the 80s remix. That's how they labeled it. So it was pretty cool, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the song was alive, fun, and upbeat. Like, you know, something you would think a teenager experiencing cool life through a euphoric sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, they might bust out singing this way. <laughs> <laughs> There's this act of imagination, people. Um, I thought them using it was very tasteful. Uh-huh. I also like I Can't Drive 55 by Sammy Hagar. Oh, I got a cute little story about this real quick. So my husband and I, we actually went and saw Bumblebee at the theater twice. Mm -hmm. And the first time we were sitting there and, you know, just enjoying the movie, enjoying it, you know, and they played the song (laughs) and totally getting into it, you know, bopping your head and everything. And then I was like, man, I love this song. I don't know who it is. (laughs) We go and see it a second time. Same thing. I'm like, I got to know who sings this song. This is totally 80s. (laughs) <laughs> so I lean over to my husband I'm like hey who sings this and he goes he goes I can't drive 55 by Sammy Hagar and I'm like really okay which I'm, I'm I'm not joking folks I did not ring a bell I didn't I really didn't lose that yet but I was glad to know at that point because it's, it's one of those quintessential 80s songs that you hear in shows and movies and that kind of thing uh-huh. And I was so glad to know at that point because like now I can jam <laughs> properly to it. <laughs> so my husband got cool points for that because it was like he actually knew he's not a big trivia buff at all and he totally knew. So he helped me out that endeavor. <laughs> I bet he got a lot of cool points for that. He did. I made his uh, favorite dinner that night. <laughs> he was like, about time. <laughs> <laughs> no. We'll probably catch a lot of heat for this. Uh oh. But, but the one entry I can't even remotely be familiar with that I can remember was The Smiths or any of their songs. Yeah. Yeah. You, you too? Yeah. I never, I wasn't familiar with them at all. But, you know, honestly, it was used in the film, you know, as a refreshing touch to how B and Charlie's connection played out. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. Much agreed, Coop. Um, A most stellar collection of songs to be paired with such an amazingly entertaining movie. Mm -hmm. Bumblebee is quite possibly the best Transformer movie to date. Um, This installment of the Transformers franchise infused hope in us again 
as far as truly entertaining the audience by good storytelling. Mm-hmm. I realize that every person's expectation of being entertained is going to be different. But personally, I feel that the creative execs that collaborated on this film, they got and understood the old school concept of what a good Transformer movie would contain. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't mean the unbelievable over-the-top action sequences? Nah. Over-sexualized teenage girls? Nah. Or crazy explosions all over the place within minutes? <laughs> And that's just at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> oh, wait. They did start out in an all-out civil war there in Cybertron. But that was necessary to set the stage for this version of B to take place. Uh-huh. And this is exactly the film I would have watched a hundred times over as a kid. <laughs> that opening scene alone would have worked for the 2007 film as well, in my humble opinion. Sure. There was just enough to tell the story on why and how B came to Earth and how his adventures here began to unfold, you know, as well as what true what was true regarding Charlie's story and their paths eventually crossing. Mm-hmm. So all in all, it's just a good film with a simple plot that has both heart and emotion. Yes. And speaking of the overall feel that the previous Transformers movie had, I personally highly prefer the first installment in 2007 yeah yeah it was good it, had, it was wasn't it yeah you know it had adequate nicely timed plot build up you know that storyline within mm-hmm. um, to help us the audience organically get to know and become familiar with the characters at an even pace yeah you know yeah. um so the adventures they would unfold kind of like like you would just expect them to mm-hmm and good storytelling and tastefully placed antagonistic situations that would involve a fight here and there, not all over. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe a warning explosion or two, you know, until it got toward the end when most of the action happened. Mm-hmm. It actually made sense and we didn't get lost in the middle of the movie having question marks over our heads. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so many question marks in the theater that no one would see the screen anymore. (laughs) (laughs) They were able to follow along and enjoy it. Right. That was the first Transformers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the first Transformers, the best was, that was the first one and by far the greatest one. Oh, yeah. Um, It contained the desired components for us Gen Xer fans looking for the big screen version of Transformers that properly paid homage to the 80s Gen 1 Transformers we know and love. Yeah. If you're a true fan of the original cartoon, uh, you, you probably were geeking out at how the movie kept faith with the cartoon's visual aesthetic and sound. Mm-hmm. Bumblebee followed suit and returns to the character's classic look and that he was actually the old vintage Volkswagen Beetlebug that <laughs> <laughs> obviously was a robotic Cybertronian warrior but was sweet all at the same time. <laughs> he was cute. Yes, he was cute. This was the movie we also desperately needed from the Transformers franchise. It contained great action, great characters, and an overall great story. So sorry if some of you out there really enjoyed the other Transformer installments after 2007, because um, I mean it's no mistake that we really didn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
but we actually mean no disrespect. We know there's fans of everything, so we don't mean any disrespect, but uh, I personally feel the only two good movies from all of it was the 2007 Transformers and this one. Ditto. (laughs) Now, I think I heard that a Bumblebee 2 is in the works, slated for release in 2022. Oh. Kennedy, do you think you will go see it? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I'm going to see it. When I see it, I'll do it with an open mind because, you know, I feel the overall story, you know, more often than not, movies aren't that good anymore when they're telling one. Yeah. And that's collectively speaking. Yeah. It really seems that we're in a creative drought as far as film is concerned. And it really would be nice if Hollywood created and brought new life and stories that would take us forward. Yeah. So it's disappointing to have to say that, especially since we've always been a couple of diehard, self-proclaimed movie buffs. (laughs) I mean, really, honestly, I don't know how or what it is that's coming out on the roster this year or next. Mm -hmm. I I really don't know. And I don't think it's the result of the pandemic. (laughs) A cough, cough. But thanks for the heads up about Bumblebee too. I I really hadn't heard that, that anything about it. Oh well, cool. You know what? You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're in my circle. <laughs> the relationship between Charlie and Bumblebee is a charm to watch. Yeah, it reminds me of that wonderful deep connection one has with a close friend or. If you have a fur friend that totally gets you uh, and is loyal and always there for you no matter what. Yeah. V came in Charlie's life at a crucial time when she needed that type of warm connection their friendship provided. Mm -hmm. That key element alone really resonated with me. That's so cool. You know, (laughs) I agree. Uh, This movie brought back some good memories from our childhood. Yeah. That era was amazing and carefree. Our imaginations were through the roof. They were. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For once, the robots actually look like what they portrayed in the Gen 1 cartoon. Yes. My personal favorite character, Soundwave, (laughs) was showcased and has his actual Gen 1 voice. (laughs) That was a horrible representation, by the way. I tried. No, no, it was good. It really was. a big one for me the robots from the previous films were horrible and were hard to differentiate one from another and you know most certainly did not look like the original cartoons or toys no they didn't yeah so in bumblebee i actually enjoyed the fight scenes between the autobots and the decepticons the action in this movie is a major step up from the sequels yes you can actually tell what's going on and the visuals are crisp and detailed. Mm-hmm. I was thoroughly pulled in. All facts. <laughs> <laughs> the Transformers is a story about robots where human beings played a very secondary role therein. Speaking of wild imaginations, Coop, um, just how many of us Gen Xers fell in love with cool cars, would name them, and just know <laughs> with all our heart that somehow that car was real or alive or where? <laughs> And it could talk and protect you, and y'all would be partners in crime and all of your adventures together until the end of time? Totally. (laughs) (laughs) 
seriously, how many of our of all you listening in with us today feel or have ever felt that way about cars or any other objects due to an overactive imagination? <laughs> <laughs> if you have, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And and don't worry, there's no worries. This is a safe place to be able to share and discuss old time memories without judgment. No judgment here. <laughs> this is a no judgment zone, judgment free zone. <laughs> <laughs> Everything we discuss here is in mind of pure fun and escape. So please all you know, feel free to share your stories or thoughts about that. You're in good <laughs> company. And uh, we'll be discussing similar topics in the future as we dive into other retro related topics. Ooh, can't wait to hear some of those other experiences. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Another positive thing about this movie is that it's not too long and drawn out. Mm-hmm. Unlike its predecessors, the length of this movie was appropriate. It was nice being able to watch it with a smile on my face versus nursing a throbbing headache. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but I did have the luxury of watching it at home. <laughs> <laughs> pause anytime you had to (laughs) (laughs) that is key (laughs) so all in all this movie worked Um, I know we're probably in the minority as far as truly liking this film and we can't help but say great things about it yeah it's a perfect mix of nostalgic 80s era songs references and overall it carried a true 80s vibe Mm-hmm. And then the love interest situation wasn't overdone or even felt forced because let's be honest, that's how young love and innocent puppy crushes generally played out back then. <laughs> and then lastly, they really did nail down that softer feel of a relationship between B and Charlie. And the entire cast was good. No one seemed like they were phoning it in for a paycheck. You're so right. You know what? Bumblebee did its due justice and brought back happy memories to many of us who lived in that decade. Yeah. Through the music and the look of the nostalgia played out on the screen. If you haven't seen it yet, we recommend this one if you go in with an open mind and just want to be entertained. Go see it. Go see it. This is the Transformers movie we the fans truly deserve. And that's it for this week's episode. But the fun doesn't have to stop here. Join us again next time when we'll be back with more captivating retro entries. If you have any suggestions, requests, or feedback, head over to anchor.fm and like, share, and get involved. See you next time, and may every bite be sweet.